Hello, everyone. Welcome back to BizPod, the Behaviour Intervention Support Network's podcast. And I am delighted once again to be joined by Harry Thompson, or if you want me to, Harry, could be Barry Ronson again. I know I you know, didn't deliberately do it the first time, I messed up. Well, given the ever-changing nature of the PDA presentation, we can start with one and end up with the other. Fair enough. That sounds like yeah. a good... I'm not even going to go in with a question then. Just tell me more about the ever-changing, or I'd love to hear more about the ever-changing PDA distinction diagnosis. Sure. Well, first of all, what's on, Sam? It's it's great to be back. <laughs> I realised I, I said what's on. Mm. Isn't that a West Country trope? Oh, yes. Yeah, because I, I tried to claim that shit hot was as well, but I don't know if that's more of a... Is that a general... Did everyone say that? Or is that a Devon thing, do you think? I have heard someone from Liverpool use that before. Okay, fair enough. So I can't really steal that one for Devon, but I reckon what's on, that's got to be southwest at least. You can lay claim to what's on. Excellent. The other one that you might hear, which I would say is Somerset and Devon, is where are you two? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was Welsh for some reason. Oh, Welsh. Fair enough, maybe. okay so (laughs) doesn't look like um somerset and devon are actually allowed to claim that much after all no but still you gave us what's on i think we're going to take that yeah yeah we'll we'll, we'll stick with that one for now (laughs) right where were we the ever-changing nature of pda yes so um well it feels as though there are multiple selves within one body, one brain. Um, in my presentations, I use the analogy of the Hydra beast from Greek mythology. Um, uh, and I distinguish this uh, phenomenon of having multiple selves from masking because masking implies that the individual is being fake somewhat or is uh, putting it on, shall we say. Whereas um, I notice um, multiple authentic selves which take it in turns uh, being at the front. Um, And I don't regard them as masking because I regard masking as a completely different process, as I said before. So if I am masking, I'm not being me. But when I'm being me, there are many numbers of me I could be. Um, And it's not to be confused with disassociative identity disorder uh, because within this condition, uh, the individual often isn't aware of the transitions from one uh, identity to another. Whereas in my case, there appears to be psychological continuity. Like there appears to be um, continuity of consciousness and awareness. Like my awareness stays the same. However, the presentation will differ vastly depending on the company and depending on the environment, I suppose. So are you aware of, you're sort of consciously aware of which you you're being? I'm aware of which me, well, I'm not aware of which me I'm going to be. Hmm. That remains, that remains uncertain until I'm um, in the company of the person I'm about to meet or in the place I'm about to go to. Um, And I never know which one I'm going to be. And that can be quite frustrating. Now, Hydra had, did Hydra have seven heads? Was it limited or was it just if you cut one off, two grew grew out? Yeah, exactly that, exactly that. 
Well, you've um, probably got a number then. No, I don't count. It's helpful to give them jobs, I find. Hmm. They're, happy when, they're happy when they have roles to fulfill. Um, as to the number, I'm not quite sure. Um, so for example, people might see me on YouTube and I'm quite serious and scholarly on YouTube. Like I, I've, if I'm, um, unless I'm doing an interview or with, with a, a PDA kid or an autistic kid, or if I'm um, accompanied by another person, um, I may have a more light-hearted uh, persona. But whenever my um, videos are academic in nature, um, I notice um, my more scholarly, professorial self, assume the four, who doesn't have a sense of humour at all. And then in other areas, I find it impossible to be serious at all. And both are me, both are very, very me, but um, they, uh, they don't have anything in common. So if, say, um, when we were talking, if I caught you in that sort of persona of being more professorial yeah. and, and academic, and I started making bad jokes, which I'm fairly prone to do, would you just, would I go, not, would it move you out of that or would you just stay there and kind of wouldn't appreciate the jokes? Um, I'd probably try and move away from the joke quite quickly. <laughs> and then if you did it again, you'd probably get told, you'll probably get a telling off. Okay. You wouldn't be the first one to move away very quickly from my joke. Yeah. So, sure, yeah. <laughs> you'd probably get about three chances. Oh, three strikes. Okay. Yeah, I'd say so. But that's the thing. I noticed, to be honest, there's more... Now I'm... Um, now I'm living the kind of lifestyle I'm living, I've noticed more integration, if that makes sense. I think before I was occupying this, um, this particular function, um, they were more fragmented. Like I, I talk about when I'm on stage, that's actually um, my happy place. In that place, all of these selves come together, you know, so I can, I can incorporate elements of humour within academic discourse and it becomes, um, it becomes a mismatch or no, not a mismatch. It becomes um, a potpourri, a, a combination of um, performance and lecture. So, and, uh, and other elements. And I notice, oh, everything is coming together. Everything is cohering as it should. Then I step off stage and they may suddenly just fall apart again. But I notice more integration uh, within this role so that's a good thing do you think that's you said um you said at the start of that that that's happened given your current sort of situation in life does that mean that that integration is based on just being calmer and happier in general or something that what's happened in your life that's allowed you to integrate that more do you think you said uh, it could be a bit it could be a bit of both really I don't know if I can separate the two. You know, I've, I feel like I had to go through a number of experiences before I garnered, uh, you know, the knowledge about what I need to do in order to keep the demons at bay and um, live purposefully. So I think I needed to go through certain experiences which helped bring everything together. And the more everything came together, the more everything became clear. And when everything became clear, it's like, oh no, I know what I need to do. Um, so yeah, I, I talk about that a lot in my 
um, presentation too. Um, it's, a, it's a kind of metaphor I call the, uh, the PDA current. You know, so within the current, everything is possible. And outside the current, everything is impossible. Um, and within that, I incorporate my theories about ageless, agelessness and timelessness. So um, often PDA kids are described as being quite precocious and not relating well to their peer group, relating better to uh, children younger than they are or adults. Um, and I say, no, it's more of a sense of um, not quite knowing your role, not quite knowing who you are within that particular context. And Elizabeth Newson uh, would write about this and she would talk about how, oh, it appears that the social identity is flawed within a child with PDA. The social identity is flawed. And I say, no, it's not. I say it's more, it's more of an intuitive knowing about what our true ultimate role in life is, but you can't get there as a child. You know, so there's a kind of sense of dissonance you feel in your heart as a child. And every demand that someone places on you represents more distance from your true and ultimate role. So the demand is symbolic of a path or a trajectory that leads far away from the place you need to get to, you know. So then you have these moments of, ah, oh, yes, this works, this works. And parents notice it like, oh, wow, my kid... Um, managed to do this yesterday. My kid managed to, and I'm like, yeah, they tapped into the PDA current at that point. When they're not going to school, when they're avoiding brushing their teeth, when they're not going to bed, they're, they're dislodged from the current. So everything becomes taxing. So you, you know that school is not the path for you. You kind of know that intuitively. That's not right. No, I can't do that. Absolutely not. It's not happening. But, you know, even, you know, as an adult, you know, trying to hold down jobs and everything, you know, well up until my mid-twenties, to be honest, I just could not um, live a regular life. And then I started doing this kind of thing. And I noticed myself slip into this state of, ah, okay, this makes sense. I'm not anxious. I'm not anxious doing this. There's resonance with this, whereas there's dissonance with everything outside of this. The demand um, is, a, is a stumbling block when I'm outside. It's actually helpful, the demand, because the demand's there saying, dead end, do not go down this way. This is a no entry zone, you know? So in a way, as an adult, I'm now thankful for every demand littered across my timeline of existence, because it was a no entry sign. It was do not enter, it was the red light. It was do not come here, you know? So now I'm able to see the green lights, right? Yeah. And that's where I realize PDA um, doesn't just hold you back from doing things. It, it can also spur you towards things like never before. Um, but even that can be problematic because then uh, I notice, oh God, if I don't get what I want, it's like heartbreaking. You know, it's very unhealthy because there's some driving force uh, spurring me towards certain avenues or certain people and certain endeavors. And then if it doesn't work out, it crushes you. Like you you feel like your will to live has just disappeared before your eyes. So it's the same as when you're avoiding. It's the same force. It often pulls you back. Don't go there. If you go there, you'll die. But in the same breath, it can sometimes throw you towards things. If you don't get it, you'll die. If you don't get it, you'll die. If you go there, you'll die. If you don't go here, you'll die. You know, so it's, it's, it's constantly trying to realign you with something, you know. So that's why I say PDA, it's a philosophy of life. You know, there's a, there's a way, there's a PDA way of life um, that I have had to kind of create and abide by. I don't have any other choice. Wow. 
I'm trying to digest all of that, Harry. That's yeah, I know. I talk for long periods of time and I say about a thousand things at once, and then I stop and I'm like, oh, damn. Yeah, but they're all interesting. See, if, if you were saying a thousand things and 90% of them weren't interesting, I would have picked out the interesting bits. But because that was all so kind of, oh, <laughs> um, I'm struggling to know where to where to start. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, I think it's, it's what's interesting for me personally um, is, and we've spoken a bit before, I think, about I've got some relationship with the ADHD profile. I've, I've never been diagnosed. I don't claim to be diagnosed. But yeah. I, I recognise bits in my life or past. Sure. And I think I had a similar experience around um, boredom. So I ne- I could never get on with jobs, education, yeah. activities yeah. for too long because I, I got bored. And mm. I've had to find something that I can do that always keeps me interested. Sure, sure, sure. But I, I, I can't necessarily connect as much with the... When you spoke about the you know, you're saying it's either get this achieved or I, I, I have to die. And I think it's that extremeness of feeling, you know, whenever you hear people talk about, oh, you know, we're all on the spectrum somewhere and blah, 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 we can all experience it and share it. You know, that, it's that extremeness of feeling that you, it, just when you were speaking, I could almost see it, you know, it's, it's, it's so. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It is, it is very much so. Um, yeah. Sorry, Sorry I, ha- I did have a question in there somewhere, but we, we've spoken before about, uh, you've, you've talked about the almost automatic response of a demand avoidance. Yeah. Is that, that a similar thing? That's a, a really extreme, emotionally swamping thing? It's not yeah. consciously in, involved in at the time? No, it's got no bearing on choice whatsoever. It happened the other day, I had friends over and one of them just asked if I'd consider doing something before they finished. Went, nope. You know, before they finished, just nope. And I was like, sometimes I'm like, God, I barely even managed to process what they said. Um, so consciously, it's like, I, there was some kind of knee jerk reaction in me, um, holding my ground, standing my ground before I even managed to digest what the person was saying. Mm. Um, and then sometimes that will happen. There will be an immediate no, an emphatic no that just gets, that just um, erupts out of me like a geezer, you know, like a spurt of water at once. Just, um, and then sometimes they might back away and say, oh, okay, well, I, I can do it myself really. And then at that point, I'm able to make a decision about whether I want to help or not, if that makes sense. So there's always this knee jerk response. No, nope, not happening under no circumstances, I refuse. Um, but then they might, if they, especially if they um, accept that and don't um, try and reason or negotiate or uh, uh, fight too much, uh, they might just say, okay, fine, he doesn't want to do it. And then at that point, I can feel the dynamic shift because they withdraw and do not persist in trying to uh, get me to do something. And then at that point, uh, my freedom has been fully restored and I may say, oh, wait, hang on. I can help you if you want. And it's like it's a different person from the from the person that went, no, nope. I suddenly turn into the, oh, I can help. You know, it's my way of saying I can help. I want to help. But just don't ask me to let me offer, because if you ask me to, it means you want me to. And if it means you want me to, um, 
there's an element that you want something more than I do. And if there's an element that you want something more than I do, um, yeah, I don't feel in control at all. So as soon as you highlight what it is you're about to do, and as soon as I know that you need help, before you express that you need help, I can step forward and offer my assistance. Um, but it can happen no other way, it, it appears. Okay. So from a, um, I guess from a supportive point of view, if I'm, if I'm trying to support someone with that instinctive response, it's, it's really important that if that initial avoidant response comes out, we back, back away slightly and remove that as a demand. Yeah. But I, I think, again, this is something we've spoken about before, but I would say that has to be genuine, doesn't it? Because yeah. if it's a kind of, oh, no, no, don't worry, I'll, you know, I'll do it myself. But then five minutes later, they're asking again. Yeah, I would. It's, it's tricky. So I would do I would do. Um, I would be working on something outside of those situations. So, for example, um, I would consider having a this is, I would I would um, let me think. How am I going to explain this? I would try and prime certain values and virtues within the child outside of these situations, outside of these moments of action, mm. such as enlightening them on the virtue of being helpful outside. I would think to myself, okay, I know that if I'm, if I ask directly for assistance to a PDA kid, there is a big chance that they will refuse. So I want to be able to do things um, in their company that they're able to offer help for. Um, and they can only do that if they have internalized the virtue of being helpful so that they are looking out for help. So that lesson would take place outside of everyday situations that require action. You know, so I would try, so I would, then, then there comes the question, how do you sell them that idea? You know, you just, you can work back. You know, you, I look at what they're hungering for as individuals. You know, what are they hungering for right now? You know, they could, they're probably looking for some kind of sense of meaning. I, I'd, I'd probably look for, okay, what are they reaching out for into the world? How can I instill virtue going by what they are currently reaching out for? How do they want to develop themselves? So I would be focusing on that outside of situations. And let's say, they are open to the idea of being helpful. Perhaps it's because often PDA kids have this high sense of moral justice and this um, high sense of fairness. So I would work around that. I know that that is often prevalent in, well, that's always prevalent in the kids I meet or the kids I've worked with. So I would work with that. You know, I would have conversations in a non kind of invasive manner. You know, I would talk about the, the virtue of being helpful to them. Um, often to feed their need for justice. And I would think that priming that need to be helpful will make them efficient in situations where I might need help so that they can do it themselves. I'd want them to do it themselves. I wouldn't want to have to ask them. I'd want to trust that they are in control and I would want to trust that their natural levels of social justice uh, will, will enable them to understand the virtue of being helpful so that 
it makes them efficient at all times. That's yeah, excellent. So I guess um, my understanding of that then would be that if we're going to work on a value or principle such as helpfulness, yeah, yeah. we're not going to do that at the point where there's an expectation to be helpful, we're going to do it away from exactly. that all those values. Mm. You do it in everyday situations. You know, I'd watch how they naturally respond. Like, do they um, stand up for a kid who's being bullied? You know, so I would, I would, um, ex not, um, I would um, not take advantage, but I would use, utilize those moments where they take action themselves, you know, and I would, um, I would try and orchestrate or engineer a conversation after they have done an act of virtue. And I would, I would go by that. I would, I would focus, I would focus indirectly on priming their virtues so that we wouldn't even have to ask anything of them in situations when we might want to ask something of them. I'd work indirectly. I'd work outside of situations. Um, in an organic way. So whenever they naturally step forward and do something and without praising them, you know, because obviously we've got to be careful. Mm. The PDA technique is very complicated. So I wouldn't launch on them and say, fantastic, that was great. We want to see more of that. I'd want, I'd want to know about what it feels like when they spot injustice. I'd ask questions like that, you know, oh, when you saw that kid being bullied and you stepped up and you helped, you know, what was going on? You know, and they'd probably say, oh, you know, I just, I just didn't like it. It seemed so unfair. It seemed so immoral. So I'd, I'd get into a conversation about ethics and virtues by just asking them personal questions without praising them. It's funny, isn't it? Because you, you, you spoke earlier on, you were speaking about like a PDA sort of philosophy. Um, and that was more, uh, that sounded more like in relation to carving your own path. And yeah. Um, but actually, there's, there's something in that where if we are with any young person, if we are prompting them to be helpful, it's not actually as empathetically helpful as someone that you don't do that with, you know, they just spontaneously do it anyway, because they understand exactly. what it is. So that's a, that's a really, really good point. And um, in relation to that, I talk, I often talk about how I'm anti, I'm anti practice when it comes to um, any kind of hobby that you've taken up. I don't believe in practicing, but I, you know, but that's not the same as um, never, never doing it. I think the act of practice requires too much compromise. The fact that you have to sit down and practice means that you're lacking something. You're lacking a natural love and affinity with, mm. with the hobby. So I say, if you feel like you have to practice, then perhaps you're doing something wrong. Perhaps you're choosing the wrong thing. Because um, I, I do a lot of lives on which I'm playing my musical instruments. Mm. And people say, oh, you know, what, what's your practice regime like? And I said, I don't see it like that. I don't know what time I sit down to play. I just lose myself in the, um, in the playing. And before I know it, a couple of hours have passed. I say, that's that. if I'm looking at the time, it means my attention, some of my attention is other than the place I'm meant to direct it at. So I don't believe in practicing. It's the same there. It's like, I wouldn't, it's the same as I'm um, trying to get kids to say please and thank you sometimes. You're just teaching them about a word. You're not teaching them about gratitude. You're not teaching them about any kind of intrinsic, valuable emotion or feeling. 
Um, it's the same as getting kids to help. You can't force kids to be empathetic. I would go by their natural responses in everyday situations and then just talk about it and get them to expand on it. Oh, you didn't like it when that kid fell over. What was that like? Oh, no, I just felt sorry for them. I'd, I'd, just, have a, I'd just entertain the conversations about this um, rather than trying to get them to do more than they might be emotionally capable of. If you were going to sell a musical instrument to someone, you wouldn't say, oh, you know, would you like to buy this guitar that you can then practice all the time on? You would say, you want to buy this guitar you can play on? Just that word, you know, that it's a different... Exactly, exactly. There is, there's a huge difference. And it's Reason. not just, um, they're not synonymous with each other. You know, to play is to, is to enjoy, you know, is to derive pleasure out of whatever it is. You know, to practice is to labour away and um, somewhat force yourself into something. Um, so there, there is a huge difference. Um, so yeah, I would go by meaning because I think that meaning and resonance really underlie PDA. You know, there has to, it has to mean something. I have to feel at one with the thing. It has to make sense to me on a personal level. Otherwise, it's, it's a meaningless concept. So I'd go by, I'd go with meaning and resonance, you know, when introducing ideas to PDA kids. And I guess, I mean, I know you, you've said, we, we've talked about praise before, but uh, uh, something I would sometimes use or recommend to families would be if you're going to, you're giving feedback about the effect of what they're doing on you rather than just well done for saying please and thank you. It's when you say please and thank you, it actually makes me feel like doing it more or you know i enjoy that you know rather than anything sure i'd to get you to do would you would that would that fit in with that process or would that still feel like a bit of praising do you think um for me ideal praise is um is, is striving to reach beyond the surface i think there are certain compliments which are just very surface level, they're very superficial, like well done, fantastic. Um, it's either a little superficial or um, it means more to the praiser than the praisee. Mm. So uh, in the sense that the praisee realizes the praiser gets what they want, mm. you know? So like the kid who, let's say they put their school uniform on after months of not doing it, and, the, and the, I don't like this example, by the way, I'm, I remember getting very angry when seeing this on Facebook a couple of years ago. Um, a, a parent was over the moon and rejoicing at their child who had finally got in their school uniform, and they were so happy. And I was just there like, oh my God, no, 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 I don't like this. You know, you're cheering because you have got your own way at the detriment of the child, you know. No, um, but, let's, but let's imagine the kid does put their school uniform on and the parent praises the kid directly. And then the kid may be tempted to rip it off right there and then because they realize, oh my gosh, there's, a, there's, a, there's an imbalance here. There's an imbalance here because mum or dad have got what they want and I haven't. So the, the power play becomes um, obvious. Um, so what could be good praise? Well, there are two components to it. One, it depends on what the kid is doing. And two, it depends on what you're saying. So there's two parts to praise or praise that can work. Um, 
I've, uh, one of my very good friends is PDA and they're a fantastic artist and they drew something recently and showed me and I was genuinely pleased and um, in awe and wonder at their creation. It was a very authentic expression and they wanted to do it and they didn't only want to do it, the artwork didn't only come naturally to them, but they wanted feedback as well, right? So there's a difference. Sometimes they are reaching for specific feedback. So I've got to be mindful as to what kind of feedback they are um, reaching out for. Because I could, I could um, direct praise at the wrong thing. Because it's not as simple as you praise, you praise in one way for one thing. No, you can praise in multiple ways for multiple things. So you've got to, I, you've got to um, target the thing that they're looking for in the right way. So I just expressed my authentic awe and wonder and, um, you know, fascination and love for their artwork. And it worked. They, they were grateful that I um, gave them that kind of feedback. So it's not that praise doesn't work, but let's imagine they, um, I asked them to do something that they kept putting off for months and months and months. And I kept on badgering them and they finally came up with the thing and they, it didn't come naturally to them. They knew that they were only, the only outcome of doing the thing would be to please me. And then as soon as I express my pleasure that they finally done the thing, if they finally do the thing, it validates that they acted to their detriment to my benefit. So in that case, praise doesn't work. So it can work so long as there's balance. There can work so long as that, um, which is being praised was a natural creation on the part of the PDA kid. And then what's my praise going to look like? It might not just be, oh, congratulations, well done, it's amazing. Maybe it's um, better if I take more of an interest in what they've done. Like, oh, wow, you know, what have you done here? That's, a, that's an interesting use of colour. Um, oh, what does this symbolise, this image? You know, if I actually take an interest in what they've done, I'm validating who they are. So there's a difference. Interesting. I think, I mean, that was, that's something that I've been noticing more recently and particularly in, in conversations with yourself. Um, some of the sort of generalized strategies for PDA that are out there um, and put out there by, I have to say, certain organizations that I, I rate and think are great, like the PDA Society. But, um, you know, we've spoken before about disguising demands and actually how disguising is a bit manipulative. Perhaps we should perhaps just be reducing them. Um, but also that ties in a bit with the idea there, you know, you're talking about, again, the catch-all phrase, if you go on a sort of standardised PDA course, might be, doesn't enjoy praise. But what you're saying is actually it's much more interest in intricate than that. Yeah. For me, it's not about not doing something to spare the child, it's about finding that technique. You know, PDA is all a state of mind. It's all a philosophy. There's, um, there's a state of mind that the, uh, that the parent and teacher have to adopt. And from there, they have the secondary light bulb moment, mm. you know, when everything just makes sense. And I, I watch it happen. I know families um, in which the parents have had that, okay, I get it. I get what it's all about now. And everything becomes automatic. And it just takes a long time for some parents and teachers to 
really grasp what I mean by that because it's 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 very it's a very hard concept for me to explain like how do I get in the mindset I'm like I don't know I think it's just years of exposure and um constantly trying to reassess the situation always being prepared to relinquish what you already know or what you think you know be aware that a lot of what you've been taught is not applicable to this uh, child um I think it's just years of practicing seeing things differently. They occasionally just slip into the PDA mindset and it's like, oh, right, okay. And it does wonders for the child because the child will feel it on an intuitive level. Like, oh, they're slightly closer to me now. They're less of a threat to me now because I can tell you as, as, a, as an insider, I'm very aware of people who have got it and haven't got it. And the people who haven't, when I say got it, see, it's, it's what do I mean? It's, I know it's vague, it's the mindset. People who haven't got the mindset, I'm very uneasy around. And they immediately become negative social obsessions. Um, and these individuals um, will approach me with a particular style of thinking and questioning, and I'm unable to tolerate anything about them. You know, So I can get myself into tricky situations online um, where, and people notice, they're like, why is it me? Why is it me who is being, um, who is on the receiving end of your wrath and, and you know, momentary fury. Um, and I just, you know, it's like some people just, they are just perfect recipes for a PDA negative social obsession because they, ha they miss the mindset. It's, I can feel the distance between my mind and theirs. There's a huge gulf that's unbridgeable and that person I have to stay away from. Um, because I can feel the lack of resonance because it's, you know, like I said, p meaning and resonance underlie PDA, you know, that's where demands come from. It's like, nope, that's not resonant with the current. That's not resonant with the current. So I wouldn't even say it as reducing demand sometimes, although that can be useful if there are too many of them. I would just change your approach to life because those demands can easily become stepping stones towards good things, you know, but you have to see them as such. This. Before, you know, so I talk about, okay, I've got to, I'm using symbols. I'm using um, objects, apparently. Um, people can't see this, but I have a Freddie Mercury crochet doll. And I don't even, I don't even know what this is. Green sort of spongy thing, like a therapy, a um, sensory ball or something. My friend Chloe has got one and I, for some reason, I call it a splat pig. So, but that's not going to mean anything to people. That on the podcast could be confusing, yes. Yeah, I know, I know, yeah. So we've got Freddie Mercury and a splat pig. <laughs> Sounds like the start of a joke, a dirty joke or something. Yeah, so, um, right. Now let's imagine you focus on teeth brushing as a primary um, goal. It's impossible because given that our vision amplifies everything in existence, if you direct your vision solely at the demands of everyday life, they immediately magnify and become enormous. So I advocate for setting your sights higher, have big goals in your life. Um, so it's not about, oh God, I need to get the train to Birmingham. It's about what is in Birmingham that holds so much appeal that I will just fall into. So um, I need to look beyond the micro demands that lead to that are, are littered in the way of my ultimate goal. So let's say my ultimate goal is I'll use it. Um, that's something that obviously applies to me being on stage, like which I come back to. That's my Xbox. Being on stage is my Xbox. You know, the kids, the kids who are on the games all day, they gravitate 
effortlessly towards their Xbox. There's no demand there. They will do anything to get to that Xbox. I will do anything to get to a stage. That's how I see it. I have to think, what do I need to do more than anything else in the world to regulate and integrate my sense of selves? Um, so if I say, right, I've got to get to Birmingham, I will form a connection. I will form a strong bond with uh, talking on stage and merge with it. Because being PDA, I have to be on the same level as everything, not just everyone. To work, I have to be on the same level as everyone to work with them, but I have to be on the same level as everything to work with it. So I don't, as I said before, I don't write blogs, I become the blog. I don't talk on stage, I become the talk on the and I become the stage. So that's important. So I have to become the stage prematurely to being on the stage. And when I do that, it can suck me in. So brushing my teeth, making my bed, having my breakfast, getting on the train, getting there, all of these things are stepping stones towards um, the, uh, the point of absolute bliss, the point of absolute um, cohesion, the point of absolute sense. You know, so I have to, it's, it sounds really complicated, but in my head, I have to marry myself with my ultimate role, wherever it is. And when I do that, let's say his, the, the ultimate role is over here. We're using a different splat pig now for some reason. I get sucked into it. And along the way, I meet all of those demands. So it's an attitude. But if I don't have an ultimate aim, all of these mini demands lead to nowhere. They lead to absolute brushing my teeth for what? Going to bed for what? Eating my lunch for what? Getting on the train for what? If there's a for what, it's a demand and it doesn't get done. If it leads to something fruitful and valuable, they, you don't even think about doing them. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm just going to rewind a bit because at, at some point in that fascinating insight, you were talking about uh, people that kind of don't get it and do get it. Ah, uh, yes. I think what you, well, my, the word I was thinking of when you said it was empathy, which is something that us neurotypical people sometimes give ourselves a lot of credit for. But actually, sometimes, or I always feel like empathy is me listening to someone, understanding what they're saying, their perspective is, understanding that that wouldn't be my perspective, and I would possibly never feel like that, but that that is their truth. Um, and I think we, yeah, sometimes we, we don't listen. We, you know, someone's describing, you're describing there how having that, that uh, goal that doesn't seem to have an immediate outcome in the future that benefits you is, is too hot. And yeah, I, I, I still think there are people not believing stuff or yeah, just not truly empathizing with it, not thinking, well, what would, you know, what would that be like for me? I don't know, but that's what it's like for them. I'm yeah. myself now. <laughs> no, it's all right. I, I waffle, so so it only, it's only fair if you do too. Your waffle's a bit more articulate usually. You've got much better vocabulary than me. Oh, I thought I was just a bit of a poncy twit. <laughs> no, I don't. I I I think um, I think when when you're talking and using those words, it, I just yeah. I don't know what I'm describing here, Harry. I'm trying. I think I'm questioning myself. But I'm not trying not to praise you and then praise you and then. It's That's all, all right. I got addicted to words <laughs> as soon as I. I got addicted to words as soon as I learned to speak, mm. um, because I had this. Un, uh, 
irrepressible urge to communicate something big. Mm. And that usually, but you know, that usually manifested as just saying extreme things for the purposes of shocking the living hell out of people, you know, but now I get to have different reactions, which are more uh, socially acceptable and um, uh, purposeful, you know, but before it was just a nightmare. But yeah, still. Definitely the, the, the last bit of what you were saying a minute ago as well, I, I would say that's, uh, so we're, um, I don't know when people will be listening to this, maybe not just after it's come out, but we're going to be doing another webinar together and using some of these ideas around experiences of, you know, individuals to shape practice. Uh, and again, that's nice. Yeah. Well, I was hoping we will anyway, that's what we, we sort of talked about, but, um, I think, I think we should civilizational progress depends upon our, our, our <laughs> webinar. I like to think so. I, I like to know so. <laughs> but I guess you know I'm, I'm thinking now that there are there's still things to learn and I, you know one of the reasons I do the podcast is to get you know people to listen as much as they can to people like yourself who can give that actual insight because for me as a professional trying to support I'm still learning all the time you know and I've, I've been supporting people with a autism and a PDA profile since about 2008 and every day is a school day you know because mm. like you said it's about a mindset that you're trying to kind of as someone who isn't uh, autistic with a PDA profile I can't get that mindset I have to just immerse myself in as much of it as possible by listening to people such as yourself on the podcast oh wonderful well that's good then so they're already, they're, they're doing some steps towards it, I think. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. We need to see life as an ongoing school. Um, knowing that there are new things to learn drives us forward. If we feel that we've learned everything there is um, we need to know, then we, we stop. We stagnate, we plateau. And that's, that's no use to anyone, really. So that's wonderful. And that's, the, that's an ideal attitude to have, that we're both students here you know we're, we're both students um it's helpful for pda kids to know when they're at school you know fixed the, the concept of fixed roles is hard for pda individuals you know the fact that that's a teacher all day doesn't make any sense mm. yeah because sure, then do they not learn anything themselves teachers? yeah but it's, it's reciprocity you need reciprocity you need to be on the same level i need to um I need to make some, I need to establish some kind of connection with everyone I meet. And that's why the people that don't quite get it are very hard to be around because it's not that I hate them. It's that I'm trying my hardest to establish a connection with them, but um, I can't find, oh, I don't want to have to use this phrase, but the, em the entry point. <laughs> I like the phrase entry point. Yeah, people who know me and my humour will be making strange um, connections. Well, bear in mind this podcast, so they're free. They're not regulated in any way. And I'm pretty sure none of my CEOs who regulate my role at CEDAR listen. So, you know, okay. you say what you no. want about entry points. We can even reflect back on Fuck the Box, which is another movement we've discussed. I'm glad, I'm glad you were the first person to swear today. Um, I'm, I'm having um, 
I'm experimenting with trying to be a little less filthy this week and a little less sweary. Um, I can't promise that I'll keep it up for the rest of my life, but I'm just trying and seeing how it goes. Well, it depends. I mean, it depends on your connotation when you said entry point, because... Well, because it's my, it's my head. I know, what I, I know what pops into my mind when I think of entry point. <laughs> well, we're in the same boat then. <laughs> I love an innuendo. I know. <laughs> That's the thing. It could, it could be an exit point too. But just to, if, if anyone's confused about what the hell I meant by fuck the box, that was something that I, th I think that was either, that might have even been a webinar. Um, um, I, probably. We've done so many bloody things now, haven't we, Sam? <laughs> um, but it, at some point, um, Harry was, well, I was sat in my conservatory doing something live with Harry, and he was, I was just watching him on screen screaming, fuck the box. Webinar, because you were wearing that um, very summery terrible shirt. shirt. Ter terrible shirt is what it is. I, I thought it was glorious. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad you liked it. Was, um, it was lurid. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah. Lurid, is that... See, that's not a positive word I would have... If someone said that's a lurid shirt, I wouldn't... Personally, I wouldn't be pleased. Actually, maybe I would. I wouldn't care, to be honest, but... <laughs> um, I'm going to say it's uh, lurid, but lovely. There you go. I mean, if you, yeah, you've, you've, say, you've pulled it around there with a lovely comment. Haven't you? But yeah... Because it's I just feel... there. It's just, it's just like... It's just a strong force. The, the, the shirt had the force, you know? Okay. I like that. Emanating. Yeah. That can, so I, many people would experience it as kind of harsh and, oh gosh, very bright. But hey, it's just kind of imposing itself on the world saying, I'm here. So mm. it had a PDA quality to its essence. It's not, it's not getting missed whether you like it or not. You're going to know it's Unignorable. There. Unignorable, mm. Sam. <laughs> but yeah, I still think Fuck the Box should be a movement. I still think we should do some sort of conference event on the value of neurodiversity. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Fuck I the think Box. So. <laughs> so it says so much, doesn't it? Fuck the Box. It kind of does, but it also doesn't. So I wonder how many people would book tickets for something completely different. Yeah, you wouldn't want to give everything away in the title because they just have to read the title and not book onto the course. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm already looking forward to the, the Q&A next week and the webinar at the end of the month. Um, we, we have a lot of box fucking to do, don't we? <laughs> oh, this, this, yeah, the box. Right, here we go. We're, we're straying into dangerous territory here. Well, again, this podcast bit. So this is probably where we can be the most sweary. But that's, okay. yeah, but there you go. We shouldn't just, just descend into that. I'm... I'm <laughs> I want to try and keep this to under an hour, which I think we're just about doing. So I think I'm going to let you go if that's all right, Harry. Okay. That sounded terribly dismissive, but I get it. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Sam. <laughs> all right. Let's, let's, let's rethink that. Cause you're right. That was very much me looking at the time going, Oh, I've got a good idea. I could decide to leave right now. You could, you could. Yeah. And then you're going to all my sort of blurby stuff about, Oh, well, you know, Listen to, but then actually, well, you might, have you got anything you want to tell people about that might be coming up? Because I'll probably, I'll put this out there in a couple of days. So if there's anything that you're doing that, you know, you want to let people know that's not to do with me. Because, you know, if you've listened to this and thought that Harry was fascinating, but that Sam can get fucked. Then, <laughs> <laughs> then he does um, without me, loads of stuff, more stuff. <laughs> um, I have nothing to say to any of you. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. You find him. You find people. All right, Harry Thompson, PDA Extraordinaire. That's my Facebook page. Um, 
www.harryjackthompson.com is my website on which you can find my book, find and purchase my book, uh, The PDA Paradox, The Highs and Lows of My Life on a Little Known Part of the Autism Spectrum. Um, also, you can find me and my friend, my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Chloe Farahar, over on our new Facebook page, Academy, A-U-C-A-D-E-M-Y, um, on which we... Um, educate people on autistic experience. We have a number of guests, all of whom are autistic or neurodivergent. Um, and we have covered quite a number of topics so far. So yeah, if that's your thing, come on over. Well, I didn't even know about that. So I'm on it, on it like a car bonnet. This is my, pro I don't promote ever. Like it's quite bad. Like I, I'm surprised everyone, anyone knows who I am because I've never ever said, oh, here, buy this, buy that, you know, like it's, it's rare. I'm just starting to do it. But yeah, Academy, Sam, um, don't you know about Academy? I do now. I do now. And, th and therein lies the benefit of self-promotion, yeah. which I've never, I'm the opposite. You know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I'm telling you about it. <laughs> okay, I think it's time for me to disappear. Oh, well, if you insist, Harry, it's a bit dismissive of you, but I'll, I'll, let, you get, I'll let you get on with that then. I might, have to dis I might have to dismiss you. Why don't you leave and I'll stay? <laughs> right, this is me leaving. They dismiss each other. Yeah, I'm going to dismiss myself, actually. It's a lot easier. All right, See goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks for listening.